So one of the things you might not know about me is uh, uh, I love sweets, I love sugar, and so Halloween time, which was last week, last Monday, uh, and this whole week has been a temptation and a challenge for me. Uh, one, because I shouldn't be eating sweets, uh, according to my doctor and my blood tests, um, and, uh, and according to my wife, I sh definitely shouldn't be eating sweets, uh, but there, Isaiah has a piles and piles of Reese's peanut butter cups and Kit Kats and Hershey, the mini Hershey things, which are just my Achilles heel. And uh, so, and it's subconscious. I'll be working or on the computer or watching TV and I'll just reach over, unwrap something, eat it, reach over, unwrap, eat, reach over, unwrap, eat, until I look over and I realize there's a pile of wrappers on the table and I'm like, I feel so guilty. And then I'm like, I need to hide the evidence, <laughs> right? What am I gonna do with it? And Janice finds out. See, this is kind of insight into my brokenness, right? <laughs> hiding the things I do, hiding the things I eat. Something's wrong. Um, so I'll throw away the wrappers, but uh, this morning I get a text from Janice. I saw a ton of Reese's wrappers in the trash can. <laughs> Don't tell me you were the one who ate them. And I was like, oh no, the wife who sees, <laughs> right? She's the wife who sees all. I can never hide. She'll always, she has attention to details. She never misses anything. And uh, I get caught every time. Uh, but this scripture today, uh, we're continuing in our Genesis series, origin series. Genesis 16, and the scripture that Hannah wrote, read was 16, uh, verse 7 through 16. And the title of the sermon today is, The God Who Sees. Um, and one of the things when we read through scripture, and Erica gave us a good reminder uh, from the worship conference, is when we worship these songs, when we sing songs, uh, we are reminded of who God is. And when we read scripture... And when we study scripture, we are reminded of who God is. And sometimes we skip and glance through the Bible and skip and, and read through the Bible and we enjoy the stories. Uh, but what we miss is the God, the constant God, the loving God, the God who sees that are behind the lines, behind the story, um, and who's revealed in scripture. And I think this is a, a very awesome passage for showing us a little bit of insight um, into God's character. Um, and the thing is that God is the God of the outcast. God is a God of the forgotten. God is the God of the oppressed. God is the God of the marginalized. God is the God of the invisible. God is the God of the unheard. God is the God of uh, the small, the weak. God is a God who sees. And oftentimes when, you know, when I read through Genesis uh, and it's about uh, chosen people, right? God's chosen people and how God is going to bless his chosen people and God is going to work through one man and one woman to make a whole nation. These are chosen people. Sometimes you can get kind of cocky in that, right? As believers, because we step ourselves into, we kind of 
put ourselves into their story and say, we are chosen people, right? As believers, as Christians, we are chosen people. We walk um, as chosen people, which is true. But it's not, the, it's not the end piece. It's not the final piece. Because as this story shows, um, God also sees others, right? God also sees uh, the second story, right? The, the minority report. If, you, if you've seen the movie Minority Report, he recognizes the minor story, the minor key, the, uh, the, the, the narrative off the beaten path. And when this happens, when we see kind of the story derail and go off to the side, we need to pay attention because God is revealing something about himself. Amen? Um, so a little bit of background setup. There's family drama. If we remember, God promises Abram, I will make you a great nation and I'll bless you. And all the peoples of the world will be blessed through you. And Abram is like, okay, I'm old. How is this going to happen? And so this anxiety, this tension is mounting. It's also mounting in Sarah. Sarai, Sarah, because she remains infertile. She's perhaps in her 80s now, and she remains infertile. And so she's worried about, well, God is promising all these heirs, but I've been unable to provide a son or an heir for my husband Abram. What's going to go happen? And so this anxiety and this worry is building up. Um, and God's vision and God's promise, right, when we get worried, when we're anxious and we don't see it, or when we get impatient with how things are going in our life, in our world, we start God's vision all of a sudden become, shifts to our vision, right? Like, I... I, let, me show, let me show you, God, how, how I can do this, how this should happen, right? This should happen faster, or this should happen this way, or in this place, with this person. I don't see it, God. And we become backseat drivers. We become, we take the wheel, right? Reverse Carrie Underwood. Jesus, take the wheel? No. Jesus, give me the wheel, right? Um, and in her impatience and desire to make the vision and promise happen, uh, she actually offers her servant Hagar as a surrogate to Abram. She says, Abram, my husband, sleep with Hagar, my servant, and then she can become pregnant and give you an heir. Uh, before we judge, uh, actually we do judge, but uh, and in the ancient Near East, this was kind of a common practice, right? If if the main wife or the wife uh, was barren or infertile, um, she could offer her maidservant or servant to a husband as a surrogate. And that child born out of that uh, relationship would then become the heir until a kind of natural born son um, came into being. Then that, that son would be the heir. Um, so this was a common practice. And so she's offering um, Hagar. And Hagar is an Egyptian slave, a servant. And if you remember back in 12 or 13, how Abram and Sarah were in Egypt, right? And the Pharaoh thought Sarah was beautiful and wanted to, hey, who's that lady? And Abram's like, this is my sister. Um, and then 
Pharaoh has that dream, and he's like, Abram, why did you tell me? Right? She's your sister. Right? She's your wife. And now God is afflicting me with this illness. So he's like, go. And he, he gives them all these gifts. And one of the gifts uh, was uh, Hagar was probably included in that as, a, as property, as a servant. Like, here's her body. Here's her life. Right? Human trafficking, right? It's yours. Um, so that's Hagar. She's an Egyptian slave. What happens is Hagar gets pregnant. Abraham sleeps with her. She gets pregnant, has a son. Or as soon as she gets pregnant, she starts to, it says she starts to disrespect Sarah. She, she's like, I'm pregnant, right? I'm, I'm like, right? I'm a step above you, right? And so she begins to disrespect Sarah. And Sarah gets really insecure and really jealous and envious. And she turns to Abram and says, you did this. This is your fault, right? Even though it was her idea in the first place, she turns to Abram, it's your fault. And let me just remind us that when we read Genesis, when we read scripture, these are our heroes of the faith, right? The heroes of the Bible, but they're imperfect people. Let's remember Right? It's not necessarily like in Sunday school we're like, Father Abraham, right? Woo, Abraham. Right? These are dysfunctional, broken people. They're just like us. Right? So if you're like, ah, look at them, that's crazy. It's like days of our lives or some reality show. Right? That's us too. And Sarah's like, it's your fault. You made this happen. It's worse. Now I'm like, I'm like the bottom of the bottom, and she's just laughing at me. I know she's laughing at me behind my back. And then Abram, right, his issues, we saw it with Pharaoh, right? That's my sister. He's got this passive-aggressive thing going and, like, kind of passive guy. He's like, uh, okay, she's your servant. Do whatever you want with her, right? Just do I don't care. Just make it go away, right? No more drama. And so Sarah begins to treat Hagar harshly. Just do this, clean this up, Cinderella, Cinderella, make this, right? And uh, Hagar ultimately runs away because she's been mistreated so badly, right? She feels unjustly treated, and so she runs away. Um, and if you look at Hagar, if you kind of put yourself in Hagar's shoes, right? She was given away by Pharaoh, like her life given away. Um, and then she's been given away uh, by Sarah to Abraham to just sleep with, right, her master. And so she's like her body, her life is like a pawn, right? Just being used as this piece of, you know, for, for peop whatever people's benefit is, right? A political pawn, a family drama pawn, you go here, you go here, it doesn't matter. And she gets fed up and she runs away. And so this is, it's at this point that we enter the story, uh, the scripture that was read, God's messenger, who we later find out is just the manifestation of God. God's messenger seeks out and finds Hagar. 
and she's actually on this road that goes through the desert. And it's a, actually a caravan road that is on the way back to Egypt. So it seems like she's going back to her homeland of Egypt. Um, and uh, God's messenger seeks her out. And she's at this spring, this well on the road. And the messenger says, Hagar, where are you? Where are you going? And the first, first thing that I want to point out is, and you can put the scripture up. The first thing I want to point out is that um, Abraham and Sarah never call Hagar by her name. Right? Sarah says, you know, my, my maidservant, your servant, right, did this or did this. But the messenger of God, God, seeks Hagar out and calls her by name, Hagar. And, and this messenger says, where are you? Where are you going? And that echoes, right, of the Garden of Eden, if we remember. Adam and Eve, where are you? Where have you been? Because they're running away, right, in their context. She's running away, too, and she's in hiding. And, and God says, I'm just going to put God in there because the messenger and God interchange. Where are you? Where are you going? God wants to initiate, just as he wanted to initiate relationship and fellowship uh, with Adam and Eve. He wants to reinitiate. We tend to hide when we're at a loss. Maybe we feel guilty or we're in shame and we hide. And we, we hide ourselves from other people. We hide ourselves from other relationships. We hide ourselves from God. We feel like when we've done something bad or we're in a bad situation that God definitely does not want to deal with me. I can't go to God in prayer. I can't go to God in worship, right? Or I can't go and be with my family. All these things when we feel shame, when we're in hiding, when we're running away. But God seeks her out. God's plan is different than Hagar's plan. You're running away. Maybe you're going back to Egypt. God's plan is different. He says, go back. And this probably sounds harsh, like, I know she's mistreating you. I know it's hard to live with Sarah, right? It's like NBA wives, right? The reality show. I'm not going back there living in that house with that woman, right? And God is like, but trust me, just go back. Trust me. And this, this happens with us, right? God's plan is always different than our plan, right? And sometimes God calls us to go back or stay in a situation that's uncomfortable, to engage in a place that, oh, it would just be so much easier you know, if I just went away. I remember there was a stage in my life, uh, junior high or elementary, where I just got in this habit of, if things got hard, I just quit, right? It's like, oh, what a relief, just quit it and it's off my back. So I quit this, quit math club, quit this class because it's too hard, quit, 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 right? Quit football, I quit football, I quit soccer, right? And that's why Isaiah's stuck in soccer right now, because I'm like, you ain't quitting. You ain't quitting. <laughs> right? 
don't tell them this story. <laughs> uh, and we want to quit. There's so many times that we want to quit when life is so hard. Our job is hard. Family's hard. Relationships are hard. Things are hard, and we just don't want to engage it anymore. And it's so much easier to just run, to go away, and to hide. And God says to Hagar, trust me. My plan is different. Stick with the plan. Stay on target. Go back. It's going to be hard, but go back. Because this, let me tell you, this is my promise. This is my plan. And the plan is, you will have a son. And his name will be Ishmael. Which means, and this is where it gets good, God hears. Right? El is God. Shama hears. Um, it's similar to the name Samuel. So God hears um, because Yahweh has heard your misery. Right? You cried out in the wilderness. You were miserable, and Yahweh heard you. Um, and then it goes on to say, Ishmael will be a wild donkey of a man, whatever that means. And he will live in hostility toward all. He'll be in conflict with people and other conflict. But what we need to notice about this promise is this promise is per essentially the same promise given to Abraham, right? right? It's Abraham's promise. We think it's this special thing, right? But maybe we're just on a special thread of scripture, right? And there's also other narratives that are happening this whole time, but we're focused on this narrative. And what we see is an insight into the Hagar narrative Right? And God's promise. Uh, and we tend to think there's only one, there's only one way. There's only one elite privileged person. I'm either inside that or outside that. Right? And, and that's why Sarah is jealous. Right? That's why we struggle with jealousy. That, because we feel like if that person has it, then I don't have it. Right? If that group has it, then we don't have it. But God, as we see in the Gospels, right? It's my prerog if it's my prerogative to pay the laborers who've only worked two hours the same amount as I've paid them, paid you who've worked eight hours, that's my prerogative. If I want to be generous the same amount to everyone around me, right? Or the uh, uh, Syrophoenician woman or Samaritan woman um, where she says, even the dogs eat the crumbs and are satisfied. Even though salvation comes from the Jews, even the dogs eat the crumbs and it's good. So give me those crumbs. And Jesus says that faith is amazing because the crumbs of God are good enough, right? Are fully full in their fullness. We look at crumbs and like, it's just crumbs. I want the loaf. I want the whole thing. Why do they get the whole thing and I just get the crumb? And God's like, my crumb is the same as that. Right? You eat it and it'll blow you away. Right? So my promise to you, Hagar, is the same goodness. Right? It's the same goodness. Uh, God hears and God sees. And so... Hagar, actually, and we're going to get more. This is deep because she's really unique and special. This is a special piece of scripture. She's the only person in scripture to give God a name. 
right? She names God. She says, this God that I've met who sees me will be named, I name him, I call him Elroy. She calls him Elroy, God who sees me. We had Ishmael who is God who hears, right? And then Elroy is God who sees. So this whole theme of God hears us and God sees us. God hears and God sees. And then, um, then there's mention of the well, the spring that she was at um, becomes known as Bir Lahai Roy, which is well of the living one who sees me. So who is God? Who is the God in the scripture? And who is God that we worship? I said before, God is the God of the oppressed. God is the God of those who run away. God is the God of those who are treated unjustly. Right? And God sees and hears um, Hagar, even though it, her up to this point, She's just being used, thrown about from person to person, used by um, different people to meet different ends. God finds importance in her life. God finds importance in who she is. God seeks out Hagar. God hears her cries. God sees her situation. Um, God's concern, love, compassion, and promises, while they are for the main line of Israel, we, as we will follow in scripture um, is just as full and good for the outsider right and actually the fact that these kind of things you'll see through scripture the faith of the outsider is called God has faith God has concern for the outsider not just the Jewish or the Hebrew line God has faith for the outsider or God has love and concern for the outsider and the fact that it's in scripture, right, is radical in of itself, right? Most people will just put their people, right? Look at our history books, right? For a long time, we just put our people in our history books. Um, but in scripture, there are these stories, like off to the side. And in Jesus's own genealogy, we know, right? There's Gentiles and Samaritans, there's like, prostitutes in his genealogy it's like why would any people put this kind of stuff right it doesn't give us a good name put this in our history right and so this tells us a little bit of who God is that he's kind of reversing things he flips the script on cultural and social norms God is a God uh, who loved just as fully and just as well for the outsider God is a God of the outsider his ways are exponentially intricate in this world. Lest we think we have the inside track that we are the righteous, only righteous one, ones. Rather, we should praise a God whose good news is for everyone. Amen? God has good news for everyone. His arm stretches out far and wide, more broadly than we can even imagine. Right? Oh, God can love those people. He already is. He already has been. Like, what are the places that that challenges us? 
you know, as, as a church, as a community. Oh, God loves those people, right? God loves those people. His arms stretch out far beyond what we can know and imagine. I'm not going to say loved one. <laughs> we need to trust God. Stay on target. Go back and stay in hard things, maybe, or uncomfortable things. Uh, trust God. Trust God. You know, do you know the illusion to stay on target? You guys like Star Wars, right? Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. What is it, Star Wars 1? Or not, whatever episode. The first one chronologically that came out. Um, four, thank you. And they're destroying the, they're going to destroy the Death Star, right? And they, they have to shoot a missile at the right time into the right hole, right place, and it'll cause a chain reaction and blow up this large planet-like Death Star. And uh, so they have all these computer, their computers on their jet fighter planes are calibrated to make that happen. But the hard thing is all these um, enemy fighters are like going after them. And uh, so person gets into the channel and he's gonna get ready to shoot. And the guy on the, on the voice is saying, stay on target, stay on target. And everything in the pilot, right, wants to pull away. There's missiles, there's lasers coming at him, right? He's, he's afraid for his life. Stay on target, stay on target. And Luke, it gets to Luke's turn and he just takes off the music, the forced music comes on. Da -na. And he takes off his whatever, the computer aided stuff. And he just used the force, Luke, right? Stay on target, stay on target. Right, he gets it right, right on the mark. And the only way that we get it on the mark is if we trust God and stay at, on target. Right? A little, a little baby, an infant, um, will often curl, you, you're holding it and they're like, Flustered, they'll arch their back and curl away from you, right, and push you. And this is a this isn't the best thing for survival, right? Because if I drop my baby, the baby would get hurt. So why do they like arch their back away from you when that makes it harder for the person who's giving them life and protecting them to hold them, right? But it's our natural instinct to do that with God, like to arch our back. Yeah, I do. Right? But you know what? We're gonna fall down and like hit our heads, get a concussion. Don't do it, <laughs> Trust, stay in God's arms, even when it's hard. Even when it's, you get impatient. I'm the most impatient person in this room, right? I already want to get out of here, and I'm the pastor. <laughs> 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 
stay. Stay. Right? Stay. Um, let's pray to God. Thank you so much that you have eyes for us, that even the times where we feel marginalized or outside or we're hidden or running away or invisible or we don't have a vo- feel we have a voice, that you are a God who hears our voice and you are a God who sees us. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the times that you have met us and you have sought us out and you have chased us down. And we also know that in as much as we've received that grace and that good news and love from you, we also want to have your eyes and see uh, the other people around us who are invisible or who don't have a voice or who are outcasts or marginalized and give us hearts of compassion to be people who see and people who hear those who aren't usually seen or heard around us. In your name, amen.